1: Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hi, Scott.
0: Today's a special day.
1: Special, special day.
0: Yeah, you're sitting across from me. Feels good. It does feel good.
1: It's not the same over Zoom.
0: Reunited. We Reunited is, I don't know. I
1: We're doing a lot of Zoom meetings. Everyone's doing a lot of Zoom meetings. Yeah. I'm sick of them. I like them.
0: It's nice to be in person. It's
1: a great technology, but it's hard to replace in person. Mm
0: -hmm. We are six feet apart with HEPA filters running around the office. Safe as can be. We're in a good spot.
1: Well, let's get to it. I think uh, last week we had a fun episode. We talked about what's the value of a financial planner, and as we put it, a real financial planner. A
0: real financial planner, yeah.
1: And let's take that a step further because I think there's probably some interest on that. And just if someone says, okay, there's value in a financial planner, the next question, of course, is how how do I find one? What are the steps to take?
0: Yes. So we should talk about that. Let's talk about one. it. Um, yeah. So well, we'll talk about how where to go find one in the end, but I think we should talk, let's frame it from a standpoint of what kind of an advisor do you want to hire uh, and some things to watch out for. And then let's think of some common questions that we get asked that we should be completely reasonable mm-hmm. to ask someone mm-hmm. um, that we think would be really helpful to you finding the right fit.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. And, and of course, uh, I think we both believe strongly in the benefit of an advisor. We are advisors. We are planners. Yes, but it, that's not to say that just because there's value in one doesn't mean that all advisors are created equal or all planners are created equal. And how do we help someone find a, a real one, a good one? And that's the framework that we'll approach this with.
0: Yeah, and the kind of the backstory on that is, um, you know, if if we actually followed the law to the letter of the law in this land. This wouldn't be an issue, Mm -hmm. Um, but we have, um, sadly for you guys listening, not everyone who says they're a financial advisor or a financial planner is going to operate in the same manner. Right. So today, the way we're going to talk about things and the questions that we would ask that we'll make sure are in show notes would be helpful for you to find the right solution. And I'm sorry that you can't just know right away that you're getting the right person, but hopefully this conversation helps.
1: Well, unless they hire Scott Frank. Totally. But if you're not, right? Or if you Poor want to,
0: <laughs> be good.
1: So where do I start? Let's assume that I'm I'm listening. And say, you know what? I think I do want to work with a planner. My situation's uh, complex enough, or I think there'd be value enough for me to do it. Where do I even start with that?
0: I think we have to go before we start diving into like questions to ask or where we go search that person. I think first we have to ask, what type of an advisor do you want to work with? Um, well, what, what
1: do you I, mean? Aren't they?
0: Yeah, they're all the same. What, what I mean by that is, some advisors have. Uh, well, any advisor that you go find who's worth their medal should have technical expertise and be able to help you. But some will want to work in they'll want to work in different ways. So like you may find someone and you may want someone to work with you who kind of collaborates with you and facilitates conversation and helps guide you, um, really get to know you well and then understand, well, what's the next best action that you can take um, to move forward? And, And that is a it's a process that takes time. Mm-hmm. It's not a fast process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would act that is that is the way that I plan. I'm going to say that out loud right now too. But I do think it's of benefit and value. That's why it's the only way I do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, that doesn't mean it's the right answer for everyone. There are advisors who, if you send them your data, have a brief conversation with them, they will tell you what to go do and how to go do it next. Mm-hmm. And just kind of get straight to the punch of what should I do now? Right. Those people exist. So I think the first thing is figure out what you're on the spectrum. Wh- who are you looking for? Yeah. To what extent are
1: you wanting that partnership and someone to, to walk that path with you mm-hmm. versus to what extent are you saying, I just want someone to tell me what to do and, and even why and, and then go do it.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. So I would start with that. Um, the next thing when we start talking to people, to me, the next thing I would look at is are these people speaking in financial jargon? and using language that's difficult to follow, or are they speaking plainly?
1: Mm. Just because it's annoying to listen to financial jargon, or is there a reason for that, deeper reason for that?
0: I think it's twofold. One is it's, you should ne- always understand what's happening and why, people, why you're doing what you're about to do. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't feel, if, sometimes people will speak in financial jargon to make themselves, to elevate their profession and the technicality that they have, but to me, the smartest ones will just speak plainly. Yeah, simplify it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this thing called standard deviation, but let's not let's not worry about that right now. Let's just go talk about the amount of risk you can take and what you should roughly expect to see happen in a portfolio for you. Is how do you feel about that? That's one. You could have the same conversation in two different ways. Right. One of which is gonna your eyes are gonna glaze over, in my opinion, and then the other you're gonna actually get some insightful information.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's good. So before you even begin your search. Uh, understanding number one, what kind of advisor do you want? To what extent are you hoping for that advisor to participate in your decisions? And number two, just making sure this is someone that can speak clearly and simply to you as opposed to over you.
0: Yeah. You know, the other framing that I think you should look at would be what, and it kind of does come back to the guiding versus the tell me what to do, is what type of, an, of a relationship do you want with this person? Mm-hmm. Do you want this to be an ongoing thing? Even if it's an ongoing thing where they're checking in and saying, here, here are the next three things to do, we don't necessarily have the same depth of relationship. Um, or are you looking for a one-time check-in and then you're right. out? Right, right. That's going to tell you where you go look and it's going to look different as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that maybe kind of ties into the, the first question. Once you've gotten to that point of understanding what you want, The first question you should probably ask an advisor after the, hi, how are you? Nice to get to know you is, is how are you compensated as an advisor? Yeah. There's not one right way. There's not a wrong way, but you want to understand how are you compensated? Because that helps to determine, uh, what interest did the advisor have in this? To what extent are they incentivized based upon the outcomes of different scenarios?
0: Yeah. And if you see like, you know, you'll go tool around on like what questions to ask an advisor online, you'll almost always see this question. How are you compensated? Yep. I do think there's a slightly better way to ask it, so we're going to break it into two components. The first one is, how do I pay you? And the second question is, how else are you paid? Yes. And we'll dive a little deeper into why that's important in a moment, but why don't we start with how do I pay you, and we'll look at the common ways that we see people pay advisors for advice yeah so i, I think the, probably the
1: most common one the one that's been around the longest is the advisor will charge what's called an assets under management fee which means the advisor will charge some percentage of whatever whatever investments are helping to manage for a client
0: mm-hmm.
1: and say it's one percent for example well if mm-hmm. the client has five hundred thousand dollars and advisor charges one percent per year on it that's five thousand dollars per year coming directly from the account that the advisor is charging to manage it yeah so that that's probably the most common yep
0: um at least in a in a a fee only world or a fee based world? Agreed. So that I think that you're, to, to reiterate what James just said, assets under management is the most common form that we see, um, especially amongst registered investment advisors and even in the brokerage houses now, they're moving more to fee for service in that model. Mm-hmm. The key here is for assets under management to happen, typically you have to have those assets on a custodial platform with that advisor. Meaning if your 401k is at work and you want to go get advice on it and you're not leaving your job, they don't have a way to get paid through that AUM scenario. So they probably aren't going to be that excited to work with you. Mm -hmm. It's just something to keep in mind. If you're near retired or you are retired and you already have a million or $2 million of investable assets on a platform that they can manage for you, there will be advisors lining up to work with you and you'll have Mm -hmm. your pick.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Assets under management is based upon the assets on the advisor's platform, they're helping to manage for you. And then another way is outside that, there's some people charge annual fees. Yeah, and so those-
0: There's more and more p- advisors going this way. You're seeing to which them.
1: one? The annual fee or the well,
0: offering an annual fee. Yes. And the reason why is exactly what we just talked about, right? Like if, if someone is working and they don't have assets that that advisor can manage, then they'll just say like, sorry, come back when you're retired. We'll help you then, Right, <laughs> right? That's like, that's like someone coming in with a bad blood pressure for a doctor and telling him to come back when it's better. <laughs> like if they don't hit an asset minimum or something like that yet, mm-hmm. basically. Um, annual fee, there's basically what they're doing is is they're probably going to look at either complexity, meaning like just look at how complex your, your um, financial life is and, and say you're going to pay $10,000 a year. Or they may look at your investable net worth and say, okay, you have this money in your 401k and you have this stock compensation and you have these other accounts. And then they'll say, great, this is what your new fee is going to be. And then others will do it based off of um, adjusted gross income and net worth, like mm-hmm. a combination of the two. So you made a half a million dollars last year in income and you have a half a million dollars of net worth. We'll add those up and time some formula and here's your fee. So it's the the interesting thing is for advisors, it's creating access to advice before people have assets on a platform.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just expanding or broadening the amount of people that quote-unquote qualify to work with an advisor because a lot of advisors um, won't work with you unless you have a certain amount of assets already that they can help you to manage.
0: Yes, and and the two that we've looked at so far, assets under management and like annual fee um, type arrangements. Those are typically ongoing relationships right? where you're looking to work with an advisor for the longer term. They're looking to work with clients for the longer term and you find a fee that's appropriate and you keep working together. So that's for how do you get paid? There's two other ways that we see people get paid. Yep. The next one is project-based.
1: So if if you're going to an advisor and maybe you don't want uh, an indefinite relationship or you don't necessarily think you need that. Some people will come to an advisor and they say, I just need a, a project-based plan. Show me, am I on track for retirement? Am I on track to save for my kid's college? Am I on track to do whatever? And it's almost like uh, a, a much more in-depth second opinion, yeah. but it comes with recommendations and feedback as opposed to just, here's the things I would recommend you work on. So project-based is a, is a type of fee where you might go to an advisor, they would understand what services you're looking for or what solutions you're looking for, and then quote you a fixed fee to say, here's the work we're going to do, and when it's done, it's done. You go implement it. The advisor goes their way. Uh, but it's not necessarily that ongoing type of relationship. Yep. And then another one is hourly. So that's just maybe the easiest to understand is just paying for time of, hey, Scott, I want to hire you. What's your hourly rate? Um, what does that look like? Now, there's some downsides to this as well. But hourly is just exactly what it sounds like. And I think a lot of people understand how that would work of paying by the hour for an advisor's time.
0: Absolutely. And I will give... Uh... You know, two points I think as we're wrapping up the how do I pay you? That for for you guys listening, one is um, we'll get to like who are fee only fiduciaries and how do they typically get paid? They typically get paid through assets under management because there's a lot of people who need their help and there's a few of them, so they actually get a pretty good um, premium on their services. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Annual fee people are similarly are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm I find that if fewer and fewer advisors who I would want to send people to are doing project-based work and hourly work. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the incentives of the advisor at the end of the day, um, they basically have to choose to always go work more and be on a treadmill going to find new business that way versus working with people for a long term, which can also have its own benefits in helping people make small changes to get big outcomes. Right. So when you guys look through that hierarchy, it kind of becomes progressively harder To find quality advisors would be my opinion on that, and I'm happy to hear you weigh in on Mm -mm. it, but also before you do, the one thing that you do not see on this for how are you compensated as a financial planner is free. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's offering you a free plan, it's more than likely not worth much. Mm -hmm. They're offering it for free, and we'll get to why they're offering it shortly, Uh, but Anything else you want to add?
1: No, I, and, and I think that's the the segue because I think so often. Oh, you don't pay me. You know, how how do I pay for this these services? Oh, you don't pay me. I get something elsewhere. And, right. and this is what ties in the second part of your question. Not just how do I get paid, but how else are you paid? Right. You want to explain more about what that means?
0: Yes. So how else are you paid? Really ties into um, there's really advisors have to operate under two different um, rules in in the U S. We have um, the Securities Act of 1933 and 1934 that basically make us operate under what we call broker-dealers, which are like the big banks downtown with big names on the door, and you're working for them or an insurance company. And the way that you get compensated is usually through the company and through selling products mm-hmm. or some combination. Now they have some fee fees for managing assets as well. Um, or you operate as a registered investment advisor, and you get your fees through... Um, assets under management typically, and more registered investment advisors choose, a lot of them will choose to be what we call fee-only fiduciaries. That's how James and I operate our businesses, for instance, which basically means that clients pay us a fee to manage our assets or manage their financial lives. But if we send them to go do something else like get insurance or we see that they need uh, an estate plan or we send them to an accountant... Like, we're not ever receiving a fee back from a product that's being sold. Right. Our job is to sit with our clients on on their side of the table and help them figure out what the best choices are for them, and then we help them go do that. Right. So the how else are you paid, if you ask a fee-only fiduciary how else they're paid, um, and we can dive into that lingo because I'm hitting jargon here, so remind me, make sure we cover it. Um, How else are you paid for uh, an RIA that's fee-only would be I'm not. Um, if, you're, if you work for someone and they can sell insurance and make a commission on it or can sell investment portfolios and by selecting this one, make more money than the other, you want to know that ahead of time. It's not to say that that's a bad choice. It's, there's way more advisors that do that than there are do it the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just good for you to know that information ahead of time. Yeah. So you know what you're getting.
1: Yeah. Incentives are what determine action or what drive action. And so understanding what incentive does this advisor have They're paid differently for recommending different things. Not to say it's a bad thing, but you should know that ahead of time. And so I think how else are you getting paid? Is it just the fee that we talked about here that is a little bit more transparent and easier to see? Or are there kickbacks or commissions or other types of maybe not so transparent fees that you should still be aware of but might not see?
0: Yep. So the key is how do I pay you? How else are you paid? And if their answer to how else are you paid is I get paid in other ways. Ask, well, you know, if you are paid in other can you please help me understand how and how much? Yes. Right? So, like, help me understand this. Yep. Because if, if they make a lot of money off of insurance, then I might want to go with their recommendation with a grain of salt. Right? Like, just, to, just be cognizant of how they're helping us get to that answer.
1: Yes. Awesome. Well, I think we spend a lot of time on the compensation part. But we that's did. important. Yeah, uh, Maybe one of the most important things. If you want to understand that if you're going to work with an advisor and pay that advisor a good amount of money, understand how that get, advisor gets paid so you can see what, what incentives they have. Um, other than that, though, what's the second thing you might want to ask if you're trying to figure out uh, if this is a good financial planner to work with?
0: So you, obviously you want to go in knowing what services you would like from them, but the other side of this, you want to know what services they provide. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you're going to go to someone... Uh, I, I find, and you probably find this, is is people typically have some impression of what what they're going to get, or or they don't. Like a lot of people, especially if they've never worked with a financial planner, they'll call and say, "I have no idea how this process works. Can you kind of tell me what what services are here?" Right. So asking, "What services do you provide?" Right. Some advisors they focus primarily on saying, "I'm going to design a really good portfolio for you, and I'm going to manage it," and then they stop there. Other advisors will just sell insurance as we just mentioned other advisors that's will where say the
0: free financial plan comes in. that's
1: where the free financial plan comes in if yeah. you're getting a free financial plan the recommendation is to buy insurance as a result of it not that insurance is bad you need insurance no yeah but if that's There's the recommendation for a free plan the, the plan is really not free you're right. paying it in the back end right um, or are the service is more comprehensive? Is the advisor going to help you with your overall financial strategy? And as part of that, they're looking at your investments. And as part of that, they're giving you feedback on insurance. And as part of that, they're giving you feedback on college planning, uh, retirement planning, whatever else it might be. Understand that ahead of time is, is important. So you can make sure that the things that you're looking for are things that this advisor can offer you.
0: Yeah. You know, and one thing um, to be mindful of is just the – path and progression of advisors over the years, most advisors you know, well not most, okay so we're a younger generation of advisor, well you're younger, 10 years younger than I am, but we're still a younger generation of advisor. Mm -hmm. Advisors who came up and started their own independent registered investment advisories or they were in broker-dealers they all started by either selling stocks directly, which then translated to selling mutual funds directly which then translated to having investment accounts and asset allocations The point is they almost always focused on investments first. Right. And so one of the things you want to be mindful of when you go talk to an advisor is, are you going to focus almost exclusively on my investments? And you're saying you're doing comprehensive wealth management and financial planning, but what we're really talking about every time is the investments. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not necessarily as valuable as looking at the comprehensive picture on an ongoing basis, in my opinion.
1: Right. Oh, I agree. The investments are crucial, but the if, if that's where the advice or the relationship starts and ends, to me you're there's services that are being left on the table that are maybe better places to start.
0: Right. And so like one of the things you can look at is well like ask to, to know the difference can be a bit can be a bit hard. Yep. But the way to know the difference is well first just ask like what's your initial what's our initial financial planning process like? Right. And get a taste and flavor of what that looks like. Are they bringing? Are they asking you about your tax returns and all of your insurances and your estate plan, and you know your employee benefits at work, or are they just asking for your statements and like Schedule D of your um, tax return to know what your loss carry forwards are? Mm-hmm. Well, the first version was comprehensive planning in a sense, and they're talking about cash flow, right? And the others, they're going to focus mostly on your investments, right? So just just know what you're getting and also know what you want because if you just want investments that can be great but just know what you're getting yeah yep
1: absolutely so that's what services do you provide um, and then you talked about the initial process also ask about the ongoing process okay once we've gone through the initial process and we have that financial strategy or just an investment portfolio whatever it might be what do we do on an ongoing basis yep. are there, are, do, what's what's your what's your typical uh, just client relationship like in terms of how much you're meeting, what types of things you're doing when you're meeting. Yeah. Understanding that will give light into what you can expect and if you work that advisor. And you've heard from
0: us before. We're very clearly, based on the answers that we're, you know, the quest- weekly questions we come back here with, we haven't talked about investments for a, a year worth of podcast episodes, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're covering the gamut. And idea- what, we've, what we both believe in is that as you move forward, it's really understanding your financial plan as a whole and then looking at it as a whole on an ongoing basis that helps you so if someone runs a financial plan projection for you once and then turns back to focusing on investments and they say they're a holistic planner they're probably not Mm -hmm. at least not yet they're probably running the old style of running investments so just know that ahead of time
1: right definitely awesome well let's move on so we don't make this a a five-hour episode
0: sorry it's a long one today (laughs) it is
1: it, it is a little longer, and it's it's important stuff. But it's, it's important.
0: We want you guys to find the right advisor for you when you go look for one. So hopefully, this is helpful.
1: Yes, and the next thing that you want to ask is, what types of clients do you work with? Why is that important?
0: Yeah, I, I well, I think it's important because you. So here's the thing: you can actually more and more advisors are niching into specific expertise and s- certain types of clients. So you know you don't necessarily want a generalist who's working with 20 year olds and. Um, 80-year-olds, right? Like you, if you want to have – if if an advi- if you're going in transitioning into retirement, you may want to go fo- work with an advisor who really focuses on helping people in retirement because they're going to have not only the general knowledge of like a CFP, um, which uh, if you do go find an advisor, I'm just going to say right now, they should probably have a CFP as a baseline. Certified uh, financial planner. Certified financial planner just proves that they have the baseline knowledge but you want someone who focuses on like what are the best deals for someone as I'm going through this transition and how do I help manage the gap years and right. all those things right
1: right yeah make sure that their their services are specifically suited to help you right and, and that's big i think a lot of people don't think to ask that question but like you said more and more people are focusing on a specific Type of work, mm-hmm. whether it's with retirees or with biotech executives or with doctors or with dentists, all of them have their own different planning points. Right. And you want to advisor that's familiar with that.
0: Uh, next question: You want to ask, are you a fiduciary all the time? Dot 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 all dot dot. Time. Yeah. So we actually just talked about the CFP, Certified Financial Planner. Um, you know, we have some designations. We both have our, our CFPs. Um, Honestly like the CFP it's a little sad to me but you by holding that credential you don't have to hold yourself out as a fiduciary all the time. Mm-hmm. And what that means is is that you there are instances where some people who hold that designation can put on take on and off different hats. So, you know, um, uh, if James being a fee only advisor CFP is going to uh, work with Amanda and I and, and and he does an analysis and figures out that we need insurance for instance um he's going to go send me to go get insurance and he's not going to get paid extra for that in that moment right so um in the in that example as well if he's working under a different structure he could potentially sell me insurance and make money off of that as well Mm -hmm. which wouldn't necessarily be holding the fiduciary standard while he's doing that right so that's what we mean by that.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people know it's good to hire a fiduciary or more and more people. I think a few years ago, people have no idea what that means mm-hmm. to be a fiduciary about being legally required to put clients' best interests out of their own. Um, people now understand what a fiduciary is, but they don't understand that people can be fiduciaries and non-fiduciaries all within the same client relationship, so it's hard to tell.
0: It's a mess, and I wish that wasn't the case, and there were some court actions recently to try to fight that and it didn't win today yeah. so sadly we are where we are
1: one day yeah. not today though yeah but you can still ask and you can ask and that question should uh tell you assuming the advisor is being honest about it yep uh next question have you ever been disciplined by the sec or finra and this is kind of you know if someone's not been disciplined doesn't necessarily mean they're a good advisor no nope. sometimes even if someone has been disciplined doesn't mean they're a bad advisor it could right. be little things here or there but understanding right. if they have been Uh, because there's a ton of advisors i know that i shouldn't say ton but well-known advisors that you see and they'll have a little discipline here but it's it's for something that was very minor yeah whereas let's see other advisors that have been disciplined and it's i can't believe you're still in the industry type of a thing right so if someone has been disciplined by the sec or by finra understand what it was for um see what that looks like that might be a good way to help you filter out any potential bad apples without too much work on the front end Next, uh, how will you help me reach my financial goals?
0: Yeah, that's kind of an important one, right? I think so. Um, I, th- I think that's going back to looking at the process and looking at what you want to get out of it and what the advisor does. And then it kind of ties in their niche, like how do they work with clients um, how do they operate? How how do they pay? It kind of yeah. ties all of it together, in my opinion.
1: I, I well, what you just said, I think, is so so helpful. If, if how will you help me with reach me? How will you help me reach my financial goals? If the question is just, oh, I'll help you build a good portfolio. It's like that. That's not enough. Like right. we just talked about. If you're a retiree, okay, well, we're going to help with social security strategies or Medicare solutions or understanding a withdrawal strategy or uh, planned giving or whatever it is. Where if it's, I'm going to help. Executives, biotech executives. Okay, it's it's stock compensation. It's understanding employee benefits. It's understanding different things you can do like that. And so, understanding that is everyone wants to reach their financial goals, but based upon where you are in your financial situation, there's different methods you're going to go about to do that.
0: Agreed. Yeah. And and honestly, one of the one of the values of a really good advisor, in my opinion, can help can be helping you and your you know if you have a partner in life really suss out the priorities that you have for yourselves right? so that you can, you know, if you have 10 financial goals and hold them all on equal weight, that can be really difficult. But mm-hmm. if you can get a sense of what your top priorities are, more than likely to go get after those.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and then here's a big one. What happens to my relationship with the firm if something happens to you? So I want to hire you, Scott, but, uh, you're a really cool guy but you're you, you, what happens if that Thanks. really cool guy yeah something happens to him mm-hmm.
0: what yeah, then know, knowing what a firm succession plan is is really helpful um and knowing like where where does my plan sit like how do i know what we're doing and how can i walk away if we do choose to walk away ever and know like how we stand and where are we on track and what were the next steps and what what's been done and just kind of knowing the state of affairs for our financial lives, knowing all that matters too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a couple layers to this, you know, on the first layer, say I'm working with you and as an advisor, an advisor is going to have a a custodian. So TD Ameritrade or Schwab or Fidelity or something like that. And and the the first response should be, if something happens to your advisor, your funds, nothing happens to your funds. They're still protected by a third party institution. The second layer question that is, well, what happens to the advisory relationship? Who's there to pick up, pieces and that's something you want to make sure your advisor set up ahead of time whether it's an internal succession plan of okay well there's other advisors in the firm that would step in and take my place or it's kind of an external succession plan where there's other advisors they've already identified that would step in and help clients and of course you want to know that as a client of a firm you're never locked into anything and that if something should happen do you have the opportunity to to go elsewhere as you should in all
0: cases absolutely anything else here uh, you know, I think that we're going to do two little bonuses cause I think that, I think we've covered the big ones, but uh, one that we will hear from other advisors, uh, we'll hear from prospects sometimes is like, they'll ask, especially on the investing side, like, do you eat your own cooking? Mm-hmm. Meaning like, do you invest for yourself the way that you invest for your clients? Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's, you want that reassurance that like, I'm not just recommending something that, that sounds cool. I read a fun article about, but no, I believe in this so strongly that this is how I, invest my money or my family's money. Yeah. And if that's not the case, now given I might have different goals and some of my clients are being a different stage, but if the general principle is not the same, why is that?
0: To me, that's the key. It's not that they, when it's like, when you hear like someone asked Do you eat your own cooking, like you you don't want to hear back from, yeah, I invest my money exactly how I manage all of my clients' money. Because they probably don't because there's this thing called risk tolerance we've talked about before and the goals that we're trying to hit and the timelines. So the amount of risk that we take might be different. But you, You more than likely, in my opinion, I'd want to hear that the investment philosophy is similar. Right. Right? Yes. Um, But to caveat that, um, I personally don't eat my own cooking. Um, Now, and the reason why is because I have my own financial planner. Mm -hmm. Now, the answer, the the longer answer is we actually do share the same investment philosophy. So uh, the way that my funds are managed are... In line, actually, exactly the similar type portfolios with different risk tolerances that we just talked about. The, what my, what that my your clients, clients have, do. yeah. But um, you know, an interesting question that you could potentially ask your advisor is: Do they have their own financial planner? Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have a yes or no reason for that. Um, and I think that there's there's uh, reasons to and not to have your own. But mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of having your own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You want to know that your advisor is in, in the same
0: you yeah that the what they're James professing and I we're talking about this to start and it's like I hired my own and James currently does his own and I'm like well James you're in the like 15% of people who not only knows what they need to do but then actually goes and does it for yourself right mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. right versus I am like the guy who the the saying like the cobbler's children has no shoes like I'm busy doing all my other stuff and by the time I go look at my own I'm like oh I, I you know I'm always my last client So I did go hire someone else. Yeah. But then the reason why it was beneficial, which is actually for you guys, if you're couples, when you guys are hiring, oftentimes one spouse is the financial spouse and one's kind of the non-financial spouse. And the two of you sitting down together and chatting with someone, there's really big value in that. Right. Because it equalizes you. So like I'm no longer the financial expert telling my wife what we should do. We're sitting down with our own expert and we're having a conversation where I am now listening. Much better than I was before. Yeah. No doubt about that. And then there's also just continuity. Yeah. Like, what if something happens to us? Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that our spouses are okay as well.
1: Definitely. And, and and that's maybe one of the biggest ones is, yes, you buy life insurance. Yes, you make sure that everything's taken care of. But still, if something happens to you or a spouse... Who's there to help the surviving spouse pick up the pieces? An right, advisor can help do that.
0: Comes full circle and kind of ties us back into the whole reason we did this episode. Was previous week we did how to what's you know what's, what's the, value? the value of working with a real financial advisor? And I think so much of the value has nothing to do with our technical expertise, right? And has to do with helping facilitate having continuity, all those things. Yeah. So where can people go find a financial advisor if they're looking for one? Yeah, so if you want a financial
1: advisor that has a CFP that is a fiduciary that you know is legally required to place your best interest first, a few great resources, and we can throw these in the show notes, XYPN, so the XY Planning Network, has a lot of great fiduciary advisors for people at different stages, whether you're uh, looking for retirement planning, whether you're just getting started, whether you're anywhere in between, they can help to connect you with an advisor that does that. NAPFA is an also a great resource uh, that helps to connect fee-only financial planners with, with clients looking to find one yep, that's as well the
0: national association of personal financial advisors so we'll make sure we have them in the show notes
1: perfect today. and yeah. then the garrett planning network is kind of similar to xy plan are they feel? are they hourly only they're or-
0: hourly yeah and what you've seen, it's interesting because you know anecdotal you've seen like they've not grown nearly as quickly as xy has mm-hmm. um and i think that just may uh, hourly as i was saying before you're not seeing as many hourly type planners yeah um, and we didn't really harp on it too much but like one of the things that i one of the negatives potentially that i see for people with hourly versus having annual check-ins and all those things is you start to think like is this really worth you know if they charge 200 feet 300 an hour is this really a 300 hundred dollar question and then you get in your life what i call drift mm-hmm. which is basically you just let things tail and tail and tail until it finally gets to a point where it's too painful and you go try to fix it yeah and it's like if instead you were just fixing it making these little decisions along the way you typically end up better off. Stay
1: on track, yeah. But
0: Garrett is an option as well if you guys are looking for project hourly type work. Yeah, so there's there's, there's other
1: resources obviously, but those are three good places to start and we can include those in the show notes.
0: Yeah, so sorry for the lengthy episode, but we do hope that this is helpful for you um, as you guys, if you ever go look for a real financial planner.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and let us know by leaving us a five star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.